The uncanny is the psychological experience of something mysterious and eerily familiar. Sigmund Freud described the uncanny as the dread we feel in situations in which our childish fantasies and fears appear more real and more true than our adult worldviews. Hello and welcome back, finally, to the History Obscura podcast. Yes, I've had technical difficulties these last few months, and some of you probably are aware of that, but we're back and we have a brand new microphone, and it's all thanks to donations from very generous, very wonderful people like you. Sincerely, thank you all for donating, for signing up to Patreon, or buying me virtual cups of tea. And thank you, too, for listening, rating, and sharing show links, because everything you guys do helps the show. If you haven't been to the Patreon page lately, do check it out. You'll find the top donor tier now comes with an adorable branded mug, miniature artboard, and a few more treats. That's at patreon.com forward slash history obscura. I also have to say a huge thank you to Endless Ink Publishing. Check out EndlessInkBooks.com for lots of cool sci-fi novellas and novels, including my own, Letters to Earth, and later this year, Mission to Mars. I'm going to tell you guys more about Endless Ink next episode. Now, down to the business of the evening. I want to talk to you tonight about the Uncanny Valley. Once upon a time, an anonymous London businessman experienced just such an uncanny visage when he took a shortcut home through Barnes Common in the southwestern section of the city. Passing a darkened cemetery, he saw a tall human figure with glowing eyes, pointed ears, and a pointed nose bounding high over the cemetery railings before disappearing into the surrounding darkness. That was in September. In October, a girl called Mary Stevens next saw the creature and reported it to local authorities. It was a dark, frigid night when Mary walked alone to her place of employment at Lavender Hill, where she worked as a servant. Though gas lamps had been installed on some of London's main roads, probably including the middle-class Clapham Common where she walked, Alleyways such as the nearby Cutthroat Alley remained dark and foreboding. At once, out of the inky blackness of the alleyway, a tall figure leapt at Mary, clutching her tightly. It kissed her face and ripped at her clothes with metallic claws before running off, spooked by the sound of her screams. According to the terrified girl, the creature's claws were cold and clammy as those of a corpse. Though people came immediately to search for the attacker, not a trace could be found. The next day, the attacker was seen again in the same neighborhood. As onlookers gathered in curiosity, the pointy-eared man leaped away, jumping right in the path of an oncoming horse-driven carriage. The driver, shocked, drove the carriage right off the road, injuring himself as the culprit escaped by bounding over a nine-foot wall 
According to witnesses, the red-eyed demon babbled as he ran away, laughing out in high-pitched squeals like a madman. Tales of this creature, some sort of gentleman demon, abounded in Victorian London during the 19th century. The entity, called Spring-Heeled Jack, is one you might remember from my very first episode. In recalling the tale of this humanoid monster alleged to spit white-blue flames from his mouth and leap impossibly high heights over fences and into bedroom windows, I see an early account of what Japanese roboticist Masahiro Mori calls Bukimi no Tani Gensho. In English, we call it the Uncanny Valley. The valley is not actually a place, but a phenomenon that occurs on a graph created by the roboticist. Masahiro Mori wrote about this phenomenon in 1970, noting that in his work with robots, people enjoyed his creations more when they looked more human. However, the correlation only works up to a certain point, at which time the marked dip occurs as you follow the line of the graph to the right side. That dip, or the demonstrable point at which humans no longer feel positively towards human-like creations, is the valley. Uncanny Valley is essentially an eerie or unsettling feeling in response to not-quite-human figures. Mori says, I've noticed that in climbing towards the goal of making robots appear human, our affinity for them increases until we come to a valley, which I call the Uncanny Valley. When robots appear close but not quite human, like Spring-Heeled Jack and his pointed ears, pointed nose and demon eyes, people tend to feel uncomfortable or even disgusted. Once the uncanny valley has been reached, people feel uneasy and often afraid. This issue isn't contained just to CGI and robotics, either. In fact, Charles Darwin wrote in his 1839 book, Voyage of the Beagle, a human-like face on the trigonocephalus viper was horrific and disgusting. While I don't personally see anything human about the viper or any serpent face, Darwin was nevertheless experiencing symptoms of the uncanny valley. It's something that can happen to any of us at any time, and as humans we've probably always been this way. The term was first used by German psychiatrist Ernst Genscht in his essay On the Psychology of the Uncanny in 1906. Genscht describes the uncanny, in the German unheimlich, as something new and unknown that can often be seen as negative. Sigmund Freud's essay, The Uncanny, in 1919, however repositioned the idea as the instance when something can be familiar and yet alien at the same time. He suggested that unheimlich was specifically an opposition to heimlich, which can mean homely and familiar, but also secretive and concealed. Unheimlich, therefore, was not just unknown, but also bringing out something that was hidden or repressed. He called it that class of frightening which leads back to what is known of old and long familiar. 
Artists, including some associated with the Surrealist movement, drew on this description and made artwork that combined familiar things in unexpected ways to create uncanny feelings. Think of a man wearing a chicken in place of his boxer shorts. Now, the term Uncanny Valley is also applied to art and animation and video games that reproduce places and people so closely that they create a similar eerie feeling. Mori and others have suggested that the Uncanny Valley is an aversive, evolved response to the potential threats of death and disease. If something is human-like but not quite lifelike, it may evoke the same response that people feel when they encounter something that is dead or dying. In terms of human survival, it's generally best to stay away from sick or dead humans. This fear may be part of what has taught us to keep our distance. Many people have this response to human-like dolls. Especially haunted dolls, like the porcelain-faced, raven-haired Lily, currently homed at Zach Bagan's Haunted Museum. Lily was made in Germany in about the year 1800. She features real human hair and spooked the antiques dealer who discovered her into having repetitive nightmares about a little girl who had a very bad accident. Listed for sale at the dealer's antique shop, Lily apparently befriended a young girl who spoke to her like a real child for three hours one day. According to the living girl, Lily was once a human child who had succumbed to extreme violence. When first encountering the doll for himself, Baggins reported that he felt an immense energy radiating from her. I wonder what he'd feel if he had the chance to interact with some of Moskin's Russian dolls. If you don't remember from last year's episode, Anatoly Moskvin was a highly educated historian whose studies were mainly dedicated to death and burial rituals. After a brief encounter with the funeral procession of a young girl in his youth, Moskvin became fixated on death and the potential preservation of the dead. He was arrested in 2011 after the mummified bodies of 26 girls and women between the ages of 3 and 29 were discovered in his apartment. The historian had mummified the bodies himself after digging them up from the cemetery. He dressed them and posed them around his home in the belief that he was saving them from a bleak and lonely existence in the cemetery. Moskvin's parents, who shared the filthy, hoard-filled apartment with him, knew of the mummies but mistook them for large dolls. And that is why I bring up the story of these large dolls. If you're curious and have a strong constitution, you can find photographs of these mummified dolls and even video footage of Moskvin's junk-filled room featuring several mummified remains of unburied girls and women. These undeniably belong to the Uncanny Valley. Their proportions perfect, and adorned in fresh, colorful outfits, the dolls' faces were plastered over with bumpy papier-mâché, then painted to depict eyes, noses, and mouths. They are extremely difficult to behold, 
Further back in time, we find many ancient Greek accounts of pieces of sculpture that were able to move their heads, eyes, or limbs. They would apparently also sweat, weep, bleed, and make certain sounds. The idea that statues, especially of divinities, possessed agency has a deep history. In the classical Greek and Roman era, artists began to create exceptionally lifelike figures and historical inventors began to design genuine automatons and self-moving devices. It was possible to make statues with parts and hidden or internal mechanisms capable of movement, such as nodding, raising arms, opening temple doors, and so on. Hollow statues with cavities and tubes allowed priests to ventriloquize their voices, and Plutarch, Cicero, Dio Cassius, Lucian, and many other ancient writers revealed ways to cause a statue to appear to shed tears, sweat, or bleed. Such tricks fostered the illusion that figures were being animated by the gods themselves. These pieces of art and propaganda undoubtedly caused audiences and onlookers to find themselves wading unintentionally through Maury's uncanny valley. The same is true of much medieval art, including the rather alien Arnolfini portrait, and of course the endless multitudes of human-faced medieval cats. There's a rather good one available on our Patreon. Check it out, I hope you don't find it too scary. Thank you as always for listening. 